It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So how can we make this case? Well, one way we can do it is to point out to people that there's no essential difference between the embryos you once were and the adults you are today that would justify killing you at that earlier stage. Arguments cannot be religious or non-religious. Arguments can either be valid or invalid, or sound or unsound. The substance view is the idea that from when you come into existence of fertilization until you die naturally, you are the same individual at every point in your life. So if it is wrong to kill you now, it was wrong to kill you then. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Thinking, a Life Training Institute podcast in which we will talk about the abortion issue and larger issues related to bioethics in a way that's winsome, reasonable, and persuasive. I'm Clinton Wilcox, your host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Brake. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm doing well, Clinton. How are you? You uh, feeling better? Yeah, I'm feeling quite a bit better from last week, as I'm sure you can probably tell just by the tone of my voice, but uh, I'm still uh, pretty congested, and so I'm going to do my best to keep my sniffling to a minimum this morning. Now, we're advocates and voices for the unborn with Life Training Institute, whose mission is to equip pro-life advocates to graciously and persuasively defend their pro-life views in the marketplace of ideas and in our culture. We believe in the radical idea that it's wrong to kill innocent human beings, whether born or unborn, and we're here to equip you to defend that idea in a culture that celebrates a woman's right to choose. Now, as you may or may not be aware... Uh, there's a, a comedian and science fiction writer on Twitter named Patrick S. Tomlinson who posed a particular thought experiment. Of course, abortion choice uh, websites were picking up on it and treating it as, as if it was new. Uh, there's a brilliant argument by Tomlinson and uh, you know a, a knockdown argument against the pro-life position. And the fact is that it's it's not a new thought experiment. It has been argued by other abortion choice people uh, for several years. And uh, and even though Tomlinson uh, claimed on Twitter that in his 10 years of giving this thought experiment, no pro-life person had ever answered it honestly, amusingly, he blocked a lot of pro-life people who were actually refuting his thought experiment. People were actually giving him honest answers, one or the other, to his thought experiment, and then he would uh, just go and, and block them. And so it, it really makes his claim suspect that no one in his 10 years of asking it has ever given him an honest answer. But since this thought experiment is back in the public consciousness, I thought we'd go ahead and talk about it today on our podcast. So the thought experiment that that Tomlinson was expounding on Twitter, uh, like I said, is a thought experiment that many abortion choice people have been using. Christopher Kayser, in his book, The Ethics of Abortion, attributes the thought experiment to Dean Stratton, when he was responding to Frank Beckwith's book, Defending Life. Stratton had formulated it in an article in which he was responding to Beckwith's book. Now, I don't think Dean Stratton actually originated it. I'm not actually sure who originated it. The thought experiment goes like this, uh, and this is just a simplified version of it. 
Well, Dean Stratton's version goes like this. Uh, suppose you're in a in a IVF lab for whatever reason, and it's burning. And to your left is a canister full of 10 embryos. And in another room are five adult human beings. You only have time to rescue one. Which one are you going to rescue? The one that you rescue will determine which one you think has the greater value. Uh, and so Stratton would say, since most people will rescue the adults over the embryos, that proves that they think that the adults have greater moral status than the embryos do. And now Tomlinson's formulation was a little more extreme. He says, you only have time to rescue one. You can rescue a thousand embryos in a canister, or you can rescue a five-year-old child. Uh, the fact that most of us would rescue the five-year-old child over the embryos shows that we believe that the embryos are not equivalent to older children. It shows that we think that the five-year-old child has greater moral status than the embryos because we would rescue one five-year-old over a thousand embryos. Yeah, and it's interesting that Tomlinson claims in the last 10 years he has not come across one pro-lifer who has ever answered this honestly. And that tells us a little bit about Tomlinson. He probably hasn't done much reading of pro-life literature because, uh, as you pointed out, Clinton, there are numerous books which address this. For example, Christopher Kayser in his book, The Ethics of Abortion, uh, addresses it. Uh, Scott Klusendorf in The Case for Life looks at this thought experiment uh, and others. So in this thought experiment, just as with others, it's always important to stop and ask the question, what follows from this? Even if it's true that someone decides to save the child over the embryos, uh, what exactly follows from this? It's not what Tomlinson and others hope for. How does choosing to save one human being over another prove that the one left behind is not human? Uh, maybe changing this scenario helps us see this more clearly. For example, uh, suppose I have a choice between saving my child and a building full of other people. Um, I may, in that case, choose to save my own son or daughter, but it doesn't follow from that that other hum the others were not human beings or that they don't have the same value or the same moral status. Uh, likewise, it doesn't follow that the embryos are not human, even if we decide to save the child in this thought experiment. Yeah, as has been pointed out regarding thought experiments, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about bodily rights, is that uh, thought experiments can deceive our intuitions just as much as they can investigate them. And so we talked about with bodily rights how the violinist thought experiment can deceive our intuitions because it looks at it from the position of the pregnant woman, not from the position of the unborn child. Well, this thought experiment can deceive our intuitions too because we're not given very much information. It just doesn't follow. For example, uh, th there's, there's a, a difference between deciding who to save and deciding who to kill. The fact that we might choose the five-year-old child over the embryos doesn't then justify aborting embryos. Even if this thought experiment shows that pro-life people consider embryos to have lesser moral status than five-year-old children or than adults, it doesn't follow that they have such low moral status that we may then abort them. So the, so the conclusion that Tomlinson and others draw from this thought experiment just doesn't follow. It's a non sequitur. But additionally, it doesn't follow that just because we would save the five-year-old child over the embryos that we then think that the embryos have lesser moral status because there may be overriding concerns which would lead us to choose the five-year-old child over the embryos. For example, uh, if, I, if I were to find a thousand embryos in a canister uh, in, a, in, a, uh, in an IVF clinic, I would have no idea what the, what the ultimate destination of those embryos are. Are they going to be experimented on? Are they just going to be left frozen in storage? Or are they going to be given to women for implantation? I would have no way of knowing. So it seems that just by a simple 
a simple consideration of triage that it seems like it would be more reasonable to save the five-year-old child because he would have a much greater chance of survival than those thousand embryos would. The only way I can, well, I can actually conceive of at least a couple of different situations in which you might rescue the embryos over the child. For example, if the embryos are your children, are your embryos, then it would seem more reasonable to save the embryos than to save the five-year-old child that you don't know. Uh, additionally, if if we could be 100% sure that all of the embryos would be slated for implantation to be given to women to implant in their uteruses and that they would be able to make it until birth, then I think we might be justified in saving the embryos over the human because we are uh, because we are saving the greatest number of human beings. But since there's no real world situation in which we could ever be sure that these embryos would survive, it seems much more reasonable to save the five-year-old child, the one that we know has a 100% chance of survival if we rescue them. Because just like in triage, if you try to treat the person with the most more extensive injuries, you may end up losing them both. If you try and save the embryos, the ones whose futures is uncertain, you you may end up losing everybody in the equation. And so it's more reasonable to save the five-year-old child. And then, of course, there are other overriding concerns that may lead you to save the five-year-old child. Uh, you know, he may have other, other people in his life who are attached to him. Uh, or in the case of adults, they may have other people who are dependent on them. And so their survivalism is is important for that respect. And so there's the question of instrumental versus intrinsic value that might enter the equation too. So it's not just simply uh, a question of who would you save, a thousand embryos or a five-year-old child. Uh, there may be overriding concerns that each individual person might have that might choose them to, to choose one over the other to save. Yeah, so I think one of the major points then regarding this is that our moral intuitions may change based on the background knowledge that we have uh, concerning this this thought experiment or scenario, and our moral intuitions can even change based on uh, how, little tweaks or changes that we make in this scenario. And the one that's presented by Thomas and, his, and others is really disanalogous to both abortion and embryonic stem cell research. research. Because the debate over abortion and, and embryonic stem cell research, research is not about choosing whom we're going to save, uh, as in the case of the burning lab. Uh, but really, it's about who we're going to deliberately kill to benefit us. Um, abortion and embryonic stem cell research directly kill human beings. So if we were going to make this thought experiment more analogous, uh, imagine in the research lab scenario, if I not only saved my child, but then began shooting everyone else in the building on my way out. Uh, that would not be morally permissible. Uh, but directly killing is what abortion and embryonic stem cell research entails. So as you pointed out, Clinton, there are morally relevant differences between a child and the embryos, which may uh, influence our decision to save the child. And those differences have nothing to do with whether or not the unborn are valuable human beings who deserve our protection and possess a right to life, or whether or not they have um, the same moral status. Another example that's often brought up by pro-lifers is the fact that uh, we may recognize that the child may suffer uh, pain dying in the fire, whereas the embryos will not, and that may influence our decision to save the child. Or as you said, Clinton, there may be some sort of emotional attachment to the child. Um, so, so forth and so on. Whatever these other considerations may be that might influence our decision, it doesn't follow that the unborn are somehow less human or less valuable. So as a final point, as you sort of hinted out also, Clinton, our, our moral intuitions are important uh, but that doesn't mean that they're infallible. 
they should be examined and re-examined as we reason through these issues. And moral intuitions can be mistaken because they are influenced by sin or false assumptions or a host of other things. Uh, false moral intuitions of the past have been corrected in many cases. For example, uh, many whites may have thought it unthinkable that anyone would consider black slaves equal in status and value, uh, valuable human beings as whites. Uh, but obviously that was false. Um, likewise, today, the moral intuitions of many with regard to the unborn are just as flawed and need to be corrected. And that is as part of what we want to do with this podcast. Thought experiments can sometimes seem pretty weird, but, you know, talking about, are we talking about saving embryos or a, or a child in a lab? But this kind of situation uh, doesn't quite seem so weird if you consider the case of a child known as Noah Benton Markham, who was actually rescued from the from Hurricane Katrina in 2005 as an embryo and was later implanted into his mother and and born. And I, I think he spent some uh, like six. I think overall he spent about uh, 16 months as, as an embryo than, you know, being implanted and developing, so he spent more time as uh, in his embryonic stage than than people who are conceived through natural means do, and so it's it really does seem to be the case that Noah could look back on his life and say that he was rescued from that flood, even though he was an embryo. That was him. If if he had perished, if that embryo had perished in the flood, he would not be with us today, and so he he was that embryo, and he can look back and say that he was rescued from that flood, and so that kind of situation does put a little bit more of a down-to-earth spin on this kind of thing. So to, to recap then, r- real quick, this thought experiment doesn't show what abortion choice people think it does or hope that it does. It doesn't show that abortion is justified. It doesn't show that that embryos and fetuses really do have less moral status than adults or than five-year-old children because there may be overriding concerns that would lead us to choose the five-year-old over the embryos, or there may even be overriding considerations that would lead us to choose the embryos over the five-year-old child. And this thought experiment is not about who we can kill, it's about who we're going to save. And so the discussion of things like instrumental versus intrinsic value is often lost with this thought experiment. So I'd like to thank you all for listening. And uh, Aaron, again, I'd like to thank you for joining me to talk about this thought experiment. Hopefully the information that we, that, that, is contained within this podcast is is helpful and and, uh, you, and you feel it's important then we would just ask you to share it around especially because it's now back in the public consciousness because of tomlinson's tweet uh, so we would just ask that you share this around social media especially if you see people talking about uh, about this particular th- particular thought experiment and of course rate and review us on uh, on facebook and on itunes uh, now this is a weekly podcast and it takes a lot of work to put together a podcast each week on top of all the other work that I do in the pro-life movement. As Greg Cunningham of Center for Bioethical Reform says, there are more people working to kill unborn babies than there are people working to save them. I subsist off of donations from financial supporters. People like you keep me being able to do the work that I do. If you like what we're doing with this podcast and would like to support my work as a full-time pro-life advocate, you can go to www.prolifetraining.com and click on Donate in the menu on the top. You can give a one-time gift or you can give a monthly gift. Just be sure to put my name in the notes section so that Life Training Institute knows to put your donation into my account. And if you'd like to donate to the podcast specifically, you can also indicate that in the notes section. Donations are also tax deductible. Next week, I'd like to start talking about some personhood arguments. And we're, so, we're, so we'll start by talking about an article written by Marianne Warren in which she 
talks about five different criteria that she has for uh, for personhood. And so we'll talk through those criteria and and her argument that that a person must exhibit at least one or two of those criteria. And so on behalf of Aaron, I'd like to thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.